0: Our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 42. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. And for with measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Ruth. Well, as has been mentioned already, um, John and I, we were in, in Spain this week. Um, we weren't just enjoying the sun. We weren't just having a jolly. We were at a, a church planting conference um, with Acts 29, which was great. Um, it was good to have some time uh, just catching up with other Church leaders and, and pastors of churches. It was great to have time in God's Word as well and to be fed. And uh, it was great to have time in the sun as well. I'm uh, not going to say that it wasn't. Uh, John had a little bit longer. Our flight got cancelled on Thursday night, which was a real shame. Um, and we couldn't fly back to Belfast because there were so many Rangers fans who we were coming back from Spain as well. So all the flights were booked. So we had to fly, Nathan and Emily, and I had to fly to Dublin. John and Andrew had to endure the Spain sun for another day and they stayed until Saturday and flew back to Belfast. But we all got back safe and sound, so praise God for that. It's good to be back here again with you guys. Um, It was the first time I travelled in about three years. I don't know if it's the same for you, maybe because of COVID. There's been less travel in our lives. Uh, Maybe you're looking forward to this summer having uh, a time of travelling, going somewhere new. It made me realise just how much I love traveling to different countries, getting to experience different cultures, seeing the way the people of a different country or nation they live, um, spending time with them, you get to experience what their culture is like, what they value, the kind of norms in their culture, the way they they think about things, how it might be different from the way that you do, uh, the priorities that they have. And when I was thinking about culture and the culture of Spain, I was thinking about how so much of that is, is is caught. We talk about culture being caught. But also, there's a lot of culture that's taught, isn't there? We, when we don't understand why, you know, they go for a sleep in the middle of the day in Spain, a siesta for a while, we maybe don't understand that and we have to ask someone, why is that? And they, they kind of teach us the way. This is the way people live. You Think of a family even too, like Richard and Charlotte. In families, we get this kind of family culture culture that's either intentionally or unintentionally set by the parents where their values and their priorities and what they think is kind of passed on to their children. Uh, From a young age, if we want to set, if we want to be intentional and set in a family culture, we teach our children certain things. We instruct them and train them so that they live out those values and those priorities in our family. Now we're back this morning in Luke's gospel, after a couple of weeks taking a break because we were looking at diggings and what the Bible has to say on that, but we're looking again at the life of Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, the one who he lovingly sent to this world to seek and to save those who are lost in sin. And here in Luke chapter 6, we're in the middle of Jesus preaching a sermon. And his aim in this sermon is to teach and instruct his disciples back then and us Here, of where his followers this morning, what the culture in the kingdom of God is like, what it's going to feel like, what the experience of the culture of God's kingdom will be like. He's saying, Here's how I want you to live as my followers, because this is the kind of culture that I want you to experience together as you live alongside each other in this family. But it's also the kind of culture that I want others who are not yet part of the family to see and to feel and to experience as they live alongside you as well, as they get to know you. What Jesus said at the very beginning of this sermon is that all of us in this room, every single one of us are living in one of two ways. We're either living for the kingdom of this world or we are living for the kingdom of God. Living for the kingdom of this world, maybe in ignorance to God, maybe set against God and His ways, or we're living in the kingdom of God. We have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. We've been adopted into God's family. We're one of His people, and so our desire is to live in His ways. And if we're living for the kingdom of God, the way we think, the way we live, the values, the priorities... The norms, if you like, in the kingdom of God, the culture of the kingdom will be different from the kingdom of the world. We saw a few weeks ago how the world, uh, the way of the world shows love is very different from the way we are called to show love in the kingdom of God. God's children, Jesus says, are called to love their enemies, to do good without limit to those even who treat us badly, expecting nothing in return from people. That's radical, isn't it? Radically different way than the world shows love. But that's what Jesus calls his disciples to. And he says, as you live like that, you will show that you're a part of God's family. You will show that your allegiance is to Jesus. You don't live like that in order to become one of God's children or to become part of his kingdom. You live like that because you already are one of his children, already part of his kingdom. And in our passage this morning, we get a continuation of this as Jesus sort of continues his, his sermon. We catch him in the middle almost. Um, and, and we learn a lot about the, the kind of culture of God's kingdom and what it's going to look like as we interact together. Especially in God's family as brothers and sisters and as we read this sermon and we reflect on our lives as individuals, but also as, as a church family corporately, I want us to ask ourselves the question Is this the culture we see in our church? Are we, as God's people, individually, corporately, are we, as God's people, seeking to live out the values and priorities? and desires of God's kingdom so that we cultivate a culture of love and of grace and of forgiveness like Jesus calls us to here. Do we see this kind of culture in our church? This is a challenging passage. Just like last time I said, it's going to be challenging, but I want us to be challenged in a way that is right. Not in a way that we leave here and we we pull our socks up and we think, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live in the ways that Jesus commands and instructs here in my own strength, in my own efforts. No, that's not going to work. The right way to be challenged is a way that leads us closer to God, not away from him. Depending more on him, seeking more of his wisdom and strength as we try to live in a way that pleases him. So I'm going to pray for us and ask for God's help because we need it, and then we're going to get stuck in. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We need you, Father, this morning. We come to you as children who uh, even need your help to understand what you say here. We need you to work in us by your spirit, to change us, to live in your ways. We need you, Father, because you are our only hope in life. We thank you that in in that humility, that place of humility, you meet us in our need. We pray that you would do that again now. Amen. So, what should the culture of God's kingdom actually look and feel like? Well, I've got five things from this passage. And the first is this, Jesus says... In God's kingdom, there should be a culture of grace, not judgment. A culture of grace, not judgment. Look at verse 37. Jesus starts off with two do-nots. He says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Now, even if you know next to nothing about the Bible, you've probably heard this verse quoted before. It's a really famous saying of Jesus that's become widespread and common in our society. I have a family member, he's not a Christian, but he's got a tattoo on his neck which says only God can judge me. See, that's exactly the kind of saying that our progressive culture in the West loves because what people have taken this as is a free pass to live however we want and no one has the right to judge us for that. Only God, if there even is a God, only he can judge, not you, not anyone else. But that's missing the point of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus isn't saying that we should never pass judgment. We'll see later on in this passage, we need to be able to make wise judgment calls. We aren't just to overlook sinful behavior, we're to call people to turn from their sin and to turn to God. In God's family as well, if, if a brother or sister is falling into sin and we see that, then it goes against what Jesus teaches here and another te- New Testament passages as well, just to turn a blind eye and to excuse it. As we'll see later on, in God's family, we're supposed to hold each other to account. We're supposed to correct each other and to keep each other on course in the Christian life by sharing the truth and love. It's just what we've done with Richard and Charlotte, the vows that we take as a church, the vows that they take before us, it's all about helping each other to live in God's ways, to create this kind of kingdom culture. But all of this is done in a culture of grace, not judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is having this critical and condemning attitude towards others from a position of puffed-up self-righteousness, It's having a spirit that's constantly scrutinizing the faults and shortcomings of others. Having an attitude of moral superiority towards other people. Thinking, how could they ever do that? I would never say something like that. I would never do that. And the sobering truth is, that's behavior that all of us are guilty of in this room. I... I'm so quick to condemn. So prone to looking down on other people from my ivory tower. It's behavior the church has been so guilty of too. It's why so many people in our society say they want nothing to do with Christianity because they've been made to feel condemned or unworthy or morally inferior by a Christian or by the church. But look, Jesus is pulling no punches here. That kind of critical spirit, condemning, judgmental spirit has no place in God's kingdom. And notice that Jesus says the stakes are high. Judge not and you will not be judged. Jesus is basically saying in the nicest possible way, who are you to play the role of judge anyway? Because by the same law that you judge others, you will be judged by God. And if you've fallen short in keeping just one area of the law, which the Bible says we all have, then Paul in the book of Romans, he says, you have failed in keeping the whole law, which makes all of us worthy of God's judgment. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, all deserving of judgment. Do you see why judgmentalism has no place in the kingdom of God? Because if we are God's children here this morning, what we have received from God is that which we do not deserve. What we've experienced from God is not judgment for our feelings and our sin, but grace and mercy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's unmerited, undeserved, free gift of grace. So the grace we have received from God is now the grace we extend to others. I confess to you this morning, I am so often not a gracious person. I am often slow to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm quick to jump to condemning conclusions. And I am very sorry for that. I want to be more like Jesus in this area. And if I want to be more like Jesus in this area, well, I need God's help in that because by nature, I cannot live in this way. I need Jesus to change me by his spirit, to help me to display this culture of grace upon grace, not judgmentalism and criticism. We need that as a church family. The second thing Jesus says in our passage is, in God's kingdom there should be a culture of forgiveness. Jesus gives two negative commands, so the do not, but then he follows up with two positive commands, but rather do this, forgive and give. Be forgiving of others and be generous to others. I think one of the main ways the culture of God's kingdom should look and feel different from the kingdom of the world, the culture there, is in the way people experience forgiveness. Because forgiven people forgive. We have been shown incredible mercy by God our Father. We have been forgiven so much by Him. And so now as God's people, we are called to show that same mercy and forgiveness to others. And that word that Jesus uses here for forgive, it literally means to set free or or to release. And it's just, I think, a beautiful picture of, of what it looks like and what Jesus means here when he says to forgive each other, this picture of setting free. Because when we forgive each other, we are setting each other free. If I am hurt by someone I love, I hold them captive by the guilt and the shame of their wrongdoing. In some senses, they are indebted to me for what they've done. But if I forgive them, when I forgive them, what I'm doing in that moment is I'm living out what God has done for me in Jesus. It's a picture of the gospel, isn't it? I'm saying, yes, you have wronged me. And yes, it is hurt. There is a debt to be paid. But I am releasing you from that debt. I am setting you free from your guilt and shame. You don't need to try and make up for it. It's done, forgiven, forgotten about. When we live like that, we paint a small picture of what God has done for us in his son Jesus. And what God continues to do for us each day when we come to him with the guilt and shame of our sin and we ask him for forgiveness He stands ready to forgive, ready to release us from that. He says, yes, there is a debt to be paid for sin, but the debt has been paid in full by your Savior, Jesus, on the cross. So you are free. You're not condemned. You're forgiven. But even more than that, when we forgive others, it's not just that we're setting the other person free; we are actually setting ourselves free as well. When someone wrongs me, we're also—I am also held by the cap, uh, held captive by the hurt or the betrayal that's been done to me. But to forgive them, well, I'm choosing to let go of those feelings. I'm choosing to walk in the freedom that Jesus has secured on the cross. It's like God our Father says, In Jesus, this is what you've experienced from me. Now, as my children, you go and do the same for each other. Maybe there's someone in your life right now who God, by his spirit, this morning is prompting you to forgive today. Maybe there's someone in our church family who you've wronged recently and it's kind of been swept under the carpet a little bit. It's still there. True reconciliation hasn't really happened. Well, do you maybe need to confess your sin and ask for forgiveness from that person? Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is, this is not easy. Forgiveness is never easy. There may be maybe times we seek forgiveness and the reconciliation that we're after, it never truly happens. The scars are so deep that it takes a long, long time to heal. But as God's children, we are always called to be the peacemakers, to strive for reconciliation, to seek forgiveness and to be quick to forgive others because forgiven people forgive. Thirdly, Jesus says in, in God's kingdom, there should be a culture of generosity I'm not going to spend too much time in this because we've spent a lot of time this year thinking about generosity. But look at verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So much of the way of the world is about looking after number one. About saving our money, giving of ourselves and our resources sparingly. I think even COVID has made us more like that, where we've kind of almost masqueraded in a really positive light, where we've just kind of become a little bit more selfish, selfish with our time and our money and our resources. Now, that's not always the case, and there are good things that have come from that, where maybe we were stretching ourselves so thin in the past that actually it's been good for us to reflect and see, well, what am I prioritizing with my time? Where am I investing my finances and, and my money? But there's a danger as a church that we can get sucked into a way of living that's just like the, the culture of, of the, the world. Where we're thrifty and, and kind of sparing with our time and resources and money rather than being lavishly generous like God calls us to. See that what Jesus promises to his followers at the start? give generously and much will be given to you in return. He paints this picture of grain being put into a container, pressed down so that more fits in. And then he gives it a shake so that more can fit in on top of that. And it's overflowing onto the person's lap. Too much to even fit in the container. It reminded me of taking our four-year-old Isla to the cinema recently because she got one of those containers, you know, where you can fill the sweets in. And she was just going mad. Like this was like you know, literally a kid in a sweet shop and they were, she was piling it in and it was flowing over the edges. But this is what it reminded me of. This is the kind of generosity that God shows to reward the generosity of his children. See, the God who possesses all things, everything in the universe, whose reserves are inexhaustible to give from, he promises to give his children all that they need in living these lives of radical, sacrificial generosity towards others. He's ready and willing to reward our generosity. That doesn't mean that he'll necessarily give us more money or wealth or riches. That's not what Jesus is saying. But God is a good father who knows what we need. Better than we even know ourselves. And so he blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. So much more that we could say on this, but how can we continue to cultivate this culture of radical, sacrificial generosity as a church family? We've done it already this year, building project, supporting the McCormick's and Moldova mission. Other ways too, I know that you're doing it. But we never stop in seeking to meet needs and to be generous in that. Fourthly, Jesus says... We should be seeking to live out a culture of discernment. Culture of discernment. He, he also told them a parable, verse 39. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. What Jesus is really teaching here is that we should use discernment and wisdom to follow the right teachers. Disciples should be able to recognize the difference between a good teacher and a false teacher. Here's another one of those incredibly common sayings in society that actually started with Jesus, if you didn't know. The blind leading the blind. And in Middle East, falling into pits, it was much more common than falling into a pit down the Arch Road because they had cisterns that were dug into the ground, which in that kind of hot climate where it didn't rain much, the rainwater would collect there. And what would happen is if you had a blind person leading a blind person, then they both could fall into the pit because they wouldn't see the cisterns there. And so Jesus is just saying, make sure you follow the right person, someone who knows the way, someone who knows the truth about where to go, who will keep you safe on the journey. And first and foremost, Jesus is saying here, follow me, follow me, because I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You don't want to know what life is really all about? Follow me. You want to experience life in all of its fullness? Follow me. Follow me, and I will not let you fall. Follow me, and I will lead you on the path which leads to everlasting life. Do you see what he says in verse 40? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. We become like the person we follow. Now in those days, rabbis, the teachers of the Jewish religion, they had followers. So Jesus was one of these teachers and his disciples were his followers. And it was thought that a disciple could actually become smart enough or achieve enough wisdom and understanding that they would become greater than the teacher they were following almost the student becoming the master. But Jesus says, with me, that can never happen. We can never become greater or wiser or more learned than Jesus because that isn't the goal of following Jesus. The goal of following Jesus is to become like Jesus, to grow in his likeness. That's the journey we're on if we're his disciples this morning. The reality is that for every single one of us in this room, we're all following someone or something in life right now, all of us. We're all being shaped and influenced and directed by someone or something. Maybe we don't even know that. It might be the media. It might be the latest trends on on social media. It might be the opinions of our friends. What culture says it, it is the in thing right now. Maybe you're just someone who's following your own heart right now. Trust in your own judgment. Trust in your own self. Can I encourage you to use discernment to make sure you aren't being led by blind teachers today? As a church, let's strive to follow the one tra- true and wise teacher. That's Jesus. In Psalm 119, it says that his word is a lamp onto our feet and a light to our path. See, this world is a dark place. This world is an uncertain place. But Jesus is a light. He is the light of the world who guides us, who leads us. And so if you're one of his followers, keep your eyes fixed on him. Let his voice be the one that you listen to above all others. Follow him depend on him and you will grow to be more and more like him and if you're someone this morning who wouldn't say that they're following Jesus Christ I want to ask you what is it that you are following right now and how are you doing in that how are you getting on with that do you have a a sure and certain hope do you have a joy even when circumstances don't go your way do you have a peace? A peace that, that, that kind of is just a, a constant. Even whenever really difficult things in life happen. Jesus offers us all of those things and more when we follow him. And I want to invite you to come along on Tuesday night, if that's you this morning, to Hope Explored. 7.30 here. Because it, it, all Hope Explored is, is just a, a night for people who are searching to look for the answers, the big answers that they have been searching for in life. To find out more about Jesus Christ and the hope that he offers and the life that he offers to us. It's relaxed, it's informal, you're not going to be asked to do anything you don't want to do, but it's a way for you to maybe start this journey. To, To see that the other blind teachers that you've been being led by and to trust in Jesus. Fifthly and finally, Jesus says, in God's kingdom there should be a culture of confession and correction. Look at verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your own, that is in your brother's eye, sorry. Jesus is the master teacher, isn't he? It's a brilliantly ironic picture that he's painting here to make a point. Someone trying to clean out someone else's eye, but they've got uh, something obstructing their own eye. It's like me saying to John, uh, John, you've got a little bit of dust on your shoulder. But I've just spilt all my coffee down my front. Completely ridiculous, hypocritical. I'm the one that needs to get cleaned up first. And here's what Jesus is saying. You shouldn't try to change or correct anyone else if you aren't willing to be changed or corrected yourself. It's so easy to live like this, to point out the flaws and mistakes in other people without addressing our own flaws and mistakes first. Jesus says you can't set yourself up as any kind of corrective influence in your brothers and sisters if you aren't willing to recognize and address the sin in your own life first. Notice Jesus doesn't say that we shouldn't correct our brothers and sisters. In fact, he's teaching that we should do that. But the point is that we shouldn't try to change anyone else first without humbly being ready to be changed ourselves. He's calling us to look in the mirror before we look out the window. And this is a humbling exercise, isn't it? Humbly accepting our flaws, humbly repenting of our mistakes, humbly asking for God's Spirit to change us in areas that we need to be changed. This is a life of confession and repentance that Jesus calls all his disciples to. And so the question I have been asking myself as I look in the mirror of God's word is, do I spend more time talking about what's wrong with other people? Or more time reflecting on my own life and confessing my own sin? I know what the answer too often is for me and I've had to repent of that before God this week. I wonder what the answer is for you. Are we quick to notice the splinters in other people's eyes, but very happy to ignore the logs in our own. And notice in this verse that it's only when the log is actually removed from our own eye that Jesus says that you can begin to see others more clearly. Ourselves first, but others as well more clearly. Because a vital part of life together as a community of God's people is looking out for each other is being accountable to each other. It's why we we live in community together, why we have missional communities, why we we do things together as a church family which help us to live out our our vision and values as a church, what we care about and the priorities we have. We do all this because we love each other. We love God and and we love each other um, because we know that living the Christian life isn't easy. We need others to help us to do it. We need each other's prayers, support. And there's a right way to approach this kind of correction. Paul says it in Galatians 6 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. See, the goal is not to go in hard on that person and to condemn or to criticize them The goal, Paul says, is to restore them. To put an arm around them. To gently bring them back onto the right track in following Jesus. If we're someone who has that gentle arm being brought around us all the time, but really there's no change, well, that's maybe when there is a bit more of a poke and a prod, which is true of what it says in other places in Scripture. But here... We want to have this culture of grace that is kind of the predominant culture, not harshness or criticism. And notice the spirit of humility that Paul then finishes with in these verses. He says, "Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted." We're all so easily led astray, and so for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church, we need to be willing to correct each other in love. And in humility, removing the log from our own eye before we think about tackling the speck and anyone else's. Jesus says in God's kingdom, there should be a healthy culture of confession and correction. But the right balance is this. For those of you who like Mars, it's confession more than correction. Confessing our own sin more than we're correcting other people's. That's living in a culture of humility. That's cultivating a culture of, Graciously caring for one another. That's where change will come. Living like this, it's not easy, is it? Creating and cultivating this kind of culture in the kingdom of God is not easy. We live in a a broken world and the church, we are full of, of broken people because we're all still sinful. We all sin against each other. We're all hurting each other at times and letting go of our hurts and forgiving others is hard. Not being judgmental and recognizing uh, what's wrong with us first. is difficult because it goes against our, our very nature, our sinful nature. Confessing our own sin is humbling and painful. Being generous is costly. But I want to finish By showing us how living like this is possible. Hopefully I've shown it all the way as we've gone through. Because we don't do this in our own strength. Change does not happen by our own efforts. We live like this by looking to Jesus first. The gospel is our motivation. Because everything we've been talking about this morning is fulfilled in Jesus. He is our perfect example in all this. But more than that, he is also our redeemer. The one who changes us, changes our hearts, transforms the desires and the affections that we have, helps us to live like this from one degree of glory to the next. It will be slow progress. But Jesus says, with me, progress will happen. He changes us so that we can behave more and more towards each other the way he has behaved towards us. The way we live out this culture of grace and mercy is by each one of us, every single one of us, living in the grace and mercy that God has shown to us. The way that we together live out this culture of forgiveness and love is by each one of us living in the forgiveness and love that God has shown to us in Jesus. That's when the rubber hits the road. And that's when we see this kind of culture of God's kingdom that's lived out and experienced and felt, not just by us here in the church, but by others who look in as well. That's where God is glorified and the gospel is seen in all of its fullness and wonder. That's where people will come to see Jesus Christ, to trust in him, to want to be part of this, because this is life. This is living This is the way God intended it to be. So as we come to the communion table this morning, this meal that God has instituted for us in the church to remind us of his forgiveness and his grace and his love for us. As we come to the table, remember what God has first done for you. Remember that the forgiveness is, he offers is not a cheap one. It's, a one that, it's one that cost him greatly, cost him everything. Because Jesus, this meal signifies his body broken for us and his blood shed for us on the cross, so that God's forgiveness can be offered to us, so that the debt of our sin can be wiped clean, As we take this meal and as we eat the bread and as we drink the wine, we are reminded, but we also receive God's grace once again. And if you're someone this morning who hasn't yet trusted in Jesus, well, there's an invitation for you. It's not an invitation to come to the table because this meal is just for those who are following Jesus Christ. But the invitation is for you to receive from God his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace this morning, as you trust in Jesus, as you humble yourself and ask for forgiveness for all the ways that you've rejected God, and as you, in that, receive God's love and grace that's poured out on you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you on your behalf. We're going to come to the table, we're going to remember, and we're going to rejoice in Jesus Christ again. Let me pray, uh, and then we're going to sing and, and come to the communion table. Father God, we thank you for the gospel of grace. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our only hope in life and in death. Lord, when we remember the truth of the gospel and reflect on what you've done for us, Lord, all we can do is just fall before you, humble ourselves before you, and say, Lord, why would you ever do that for someone like me? I'm so undeserving. I fail in so many ways, but yet you are so good. You are so forgiven and gracious. Father, we want to thank you this morning. If we are your children, if we're part of your family, that you've saved us, that you've adopted us into your family and that you've given us hope. Help us now, Lord, to live in a way that glorifies you, in a way that shows this, this adoption as sons and daughters into your family, that, that we show the world out there that the way we're living is different, We don't live differently in order to be right with you. We live differently because we're already right with you. You've accepted us in Jesus, and and so we're changed. Our lives are transformed. We need your help with that. Holy Spirit, please work in us, mold us, and shape us to be the people that by nature we are not, but that we desire to be. And Lord, if there's anyone this morning has not yet trusted in Jesus, may they see this morning that Jesus is a Savior who stands ready to forgive. He's done all that needed to be done on the cross. Forgiveness is freely available today. Cost you everything, Jesus? It costs us nothing. And so I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone like that this morning, that they would come to you and that they would trust in you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name.